Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, Philippians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 14. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage, so we're going to read it through once, and, uh, but, but, but keep, keep your thumb there because uh, we'll, uh, we'll go back to it and dip in and out of it a little bit um, and break down exactly what Paul is talking about. So Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of our Lord. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I pressed on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's it's springtime. And uh, one of the things that means uh, for uh, school kids is as soon as uh, testing kind of gets over, uh, as soon as those SOLs are done, uh, that's usually when they have field day. Now, I've seen my kids, like, what their field day is like. They have, like, bouncy houses and slides and snow cones, and it's like, it's a big carnival, and they... uh, they, they get to uh, do um, pretty much whatever they want on field day. And I remember what field day was like when I was in third grade, and it was much more Spartan. <laughs> it, was a, it was a competition. And field day, there were winners and there were losers. Um, and I was usually 
a loser. Um, you probably don't know this by looking at me, um, but I was not always the beautiful physical specimen you see before you. Um, there was a time, especially in school, when I was, I was kind of a wimp, and I could not run as fast as the other kids, and, uh, and I wasn't as strong as the other kids, and so field day was always very anxiety-producing in me. Well, when I was in third grade, field day was coming around, and I had this friend. His name was Harvey. And Harvey was strong. Harvey was fast. Harvey was competitive. And it was kind of one of these things where you had to pick your event that you were going to participate in. And Harvey was like participating in all of them. And Harvey invited me to participate with him in the three-legged race. And this seemed like a good idea, right? And so um, Harvey and I get our legs bound together and, uh, and the whistle blows and we begin to take off. And I think just inches into the race, Harvey realizes I'm dead weight. <laughs> and so he takes his arm and he just kind of hoists me up and he's doing the running and he's carrying me all the way down to the finish line. We win that way. We win. I, I get a blue first place ribbon for my contribution to the three-legged race. But looking back, I know that victory was not mine. I know that I was carried along by a power greater than myself. You see where I'm going with this? Some of y'all are nodding. Yeah, yeah, right? In this race of life, who do you have your confidence in? Are you doing this on your own power, or are you carried along by a power greater than yourself? See, that's the theme of what Paul's talking about this morning. Where is your confidence? Who are you putting your faith in? And so it's a very weird passage, and we're going to break it down just a little bit because I think what Paul is telling us is really super important. The first thing he says, verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh. What's he talking about? What's going on? We are the circumcision? That's just not a very nice image, is it, really? Paul's got this problem. Every time Paul plants a church, he, he, he explains to them the gospel. And, and, and see, when the Christian movement started, when this Jesus movement started, when these believers in Jesus first got going out the door, they were all of them Jewish. It was a Jewish movement. It was a group of Jewish people that believed that Jesus was their Jewish Messiah. But Paul had this vision. See, Paul began to believe this is not just for us. This is for everybody. 
Jesus is not just our Jewish Messiah. He is, he, he is the Savior of the whole world. And so Paul declared himself the apostle to the Gentiles, which is just a fancy way of saying everybody else, right? I'm the apostle to everybody else. I'm going to tell everybody else about Jesus and, and, and how they belong uh, to this kingdom, that this is a worldwide phenomenon. This is for everybody. And so Paul would go into these Greek places with people that knew nothing about God. And, and he, would, he would tell them the gospel. And he would tell them how Jesus died for their sins. And he would tell them how, uh, how they could live in Christ. And he would be just sure he got this church started off the right way. And he would leave on a boat to go plant another church. And there were always these people that came in behind him. And they always kind of messed it up. And these people make Paul really angry. If you read Galatians, Galatians is just a whole screed against these people. It's one of those to whom it may concern kind of letters, right? But, uh, but, but these people always came in behind Paul. And they started imposing all of these rules on people. Saying, you've come to the faith through Jesus Christ. That's great. We've got some more rules for you. See, all of this stuff in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, there are all these 600-some laws. We need you to start following them. Laws about how you dress, how you eat. What you're allowed to do when. Laws about circumcision, right? And you need to do all of these outward signs if you're going to be a part of God's people. We welcome you, but now you have to start doing these things. And this made Paul furious. It seemed like he had no, no sooner planning a church and been off on his way when these people came in behind him and started adding a bunch of rules and undoing everything he felt like he had done. He said, beware. Beware these people. These, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh, don't have anything to do with them. They want you to have confidence in outward signs, but your confidence needs to be in Jesus. Your confidence needs to be in knowing him. In other words, it's not about how strong you are. It's not about how you're running. It's about who is pulling you along. Where is your confidence? And then Paul says, if anyone can have confidence in the flesh, talking at verse 4, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. It says, hey, look, I'm not a convert. I was circumcised as a baby on the eighth day, just like the law says. I've been in this thing my whole life. Right? If anyone's going to boast on keeping the rules, it's going to be me. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
I can read the, 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 the Hebrew scripture and its original language, and I know what all of those words mean. Unlike some of those uh, uh, Jewish people out there that, that are Greek speakers, and they don't speak Hebrew anymore. I do. Right? I'm a Benjaminite. I know who my tribe is. I, I know uh, what my lineage is. I'm an Israelite. I, pure Israelite blood in this guy. Right? If anyone, if anyone can take confidence in these outward things, it's me. Regards to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees have a bad rap because when we read the Gospels, it's the people that, that Jesus is always bugging heads with. But the Pharisees were people that knew the Bible inside and out. They knew the law. There was a legend about the Pharisees that they could uh, take the Bible and they could drive a nail into it and they could tell you exactly the letter of the word that the tip of that nail landing on. This is how good they were supposed to have known the Bible, right? It says, I know this stuff backwards and forwards. You want a rule follower? I am the ruliest rule follower who has ever followed rules. And then he says, I consider it garbage. All of that, all of that is nothing. When I met Christ, when I met Jesus, the scoreboard went back down to zero. It's all garbage to me. Right? And so someone comes along and tells you, you've got to do this, 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 and this, or else you're not one of us. That's garbage. All that matters is that you know Christ. Now, it's easy right here, right? It's easy because we, you know, we say, oh, those Pharisees, those people that came in, those, those Jewish people, right? Glad we're not like them. But we missed the point, right? We, as a church, sometimes forget that the important thing, the nucleus, the, the, the thing everything else revolves around is this relationship with Christ. And we come in behind and, and someone's excited about being Christian and someone's excited about they've just given their, uh, their, their life to Christ and they're on fire and they're ready to go. And then we come along behind and we say, let me tell you about the rules. Let me tell you about what we do around here. Let me tell you about how you're going to vote now. Let me, right? And, and we just start adding to the burden. And, and the person is going, wait a minute, I thought this was about freedom. Right? And now you're just trying to shove me into a new cage. We come behind and we say, here are the rules. And Paul is saying, all of that is garbage compared to knowing Christ. He's not saying no rules. He's not saying anarchy, right? He, he's not saying, let's put a disco ball up in the church and get crazy, right? He's not saying any of that, right? But he's saying when you stack it all up next to knowing Christ, it's nothing. Those aren't the points on the scoreboard. 
I just want to know Christ and be found in him, Paul says. And then, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is saying, back then, that guy, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Israelite of Israelites, the guy who was, in regards to the law, perfect, the guy who checked every box, when I was that guy, I thought I'd arrived. I thought I was perfect. I was thought I was right in the center of, 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 of what God had called me to be. And I was persecuting the church, right? Because I knew they weren't who I was, right? And, uh, and where I was, that was the perfect spot to be in, right? I thought I had arrived. And now the new Paul, he's pressing on toward the finish line. He's not there yet. He is still a work in progress. He's not arrived. See, you and I, Christians, you and I, church, we have not arrived until we have arrived. Right? We have not arrived until we have at last arrived on those golden shores. You see what I'm saying? We have not arrived yet until we have arrived. We're pressing on. And when we're pressing on, there's people behind us who aren't as far in the journey as we are. And there's people ahead of us who, gosh, if we could just get to where they are, they look like a good plague of spaghetti, right? There's those people ahead of us. And when we think we've arrived, when we think that, you know, we're just at the perfect spot where everyone else needs to be, then we can laugh and, and, and scorn at those people behind us. And then we watch the people ahead of us disappear into the fog, right? We get complacent. See, one of the reasons I'm a Methodist, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons I'm a Methodist is at the core of our theology is this belief that salvation is a lifelong process. I used that word earlier, sanctification. That God is never done with you. God is always working on you, right? And that grace is something that just follows you through your whole life. It was, it, it, it was, it, it was there before you ever accepted Christ. It was there when you accepted Christ. And, and it's following you, making you who you need to be your entire life. Sometimes in churches, we act like, like salvation is the end goal, right? That's the finish line. If, if, if we could just get people in here and, and, and get them saved, they'd be set. Now, that is a worthwhile goal, right? Salvation. That is a good goal, but that is not the finish line. That is the starting pistol. That is where the life begins, 
right? And if your only plan as a church is for like salvation and you're not thinking about discipleship and you're not thinking about mentorship and you're not thinking about how we're going to build people up and encourage them along their race, then, then you've just got people to, to the starting line and then you've abandoned them, right? And so as a church, we are called to see that there are always people ahead of us in the race and there are always people behind us in the race. And the temptation is to get complacent and to say, this, this is the best I'll ever be and that's okay. Right? We all have a journey ahead of us. We all have a race ahead of us. We all have places we are called to go. We all, if you're 101 years old, God has something in store for you. Right? God, if God hasn't called you home yet, then he's, you've not yet arrived until you've arrived. God's got something for you to do, a way for you to serve, a thing to teach you, a way to grow you, right? When I was 23 years old, newly married, um, had, a, uh, had a, a newborn baby, I was working at this little Mexican restaurant. Maybe you've heard of it, Taco Bell. And uh, I, was, uh, I was working at Taco Bell, and I was one of the people on the line, right? There's this, like, there's this assembly. Tacos are made on the assembly line at Taco Bell. And so I was the guy that, that usually took the shell and put the meat in it and passed it along, right? And I, like, the whole time wanted to be a cashier because the guys on the line are just, like, sweating and moving constantly all day and they're like trying to take the orders and they're trying not to mess trying to mess it up and if you're the cashier you can just take money and you can just call to the people in the back hey we're gonna need this or hey you need to send that back it's not right you know and then uh just sort of pickle around until someone else uh uh comes up to the cashier and so that was my dream job at taco bell is to be a cashier one night i get my chance and i'm excited because if i nail this right? They're going to want me to be cashier all the time, right? And so I'm here to tell you, I nailed it, right? I was on top of my game. I had this adrenaline going. I was, you know, um, uh, getting everything right, uh, taking, taking the money, making perfect change. Like I was on top of it. So the next day uh, when, I, when I went to Taco Bell, I was pretty excited because I knew I was probably going to get another shot. And when I, uh, when I got there, the manager was waiting for me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And so I went back into his office thinking I was there to get a promotion. And uh, he told me, your drawer was $300 short last night. And I'm going to have to let you go. I was devastated. Right, I'd just been accused of stealing. I was embarrassed. It turned out after me, this happened to a couple other cashiers, and they found out that there was it was one of the assistant managers that that was stealing money. But I was devastated, and I didn't know what I was going to tell Crystal. Right, 
I didn't know what I was going to tell my parents. And my parents asked about the job at Taco Bell. And I, I just, I said, you know, oh, I, I didn't want that job anymore. Uh, I just, I didn't like those people. So I, I, I just, I quit. Right? Because I didn't want to tell them, like, I was accused of stealing. And I was fired. So I just, I just quit. Um, later, my mom pulled me aside. And she said, Danny, I want you to know your father and I are pretty disappointed in you. See, you've got a wife, you've got a newborn baby, and they're depending on you, and you just quitting your job, you know, for no good reason. You know, if you wanted to work somewhere else, you should have lined that job up and then giving you two weeks notice and, and, and quit the right way. No, she had this thing, and, and she was right. And uh, I had to tell her what really happened. I didn't want to leave Taco Bell. I, I was fired um, because my jaw was short, and I was accused of stealing. And I didn't want to tell you because I was afraid you'd be disappointed in me, and, and I didn't really, really steal, Mom, I swear. You know, I don't know what happened. Um, I was on top of my drawer that night, and I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to think I was failing in life. And my mom looked at me and she said, Danny, you are 23 years old. You are way too young to be failing in life. You are way too young to be failing in life. See, my mom understood something that I didn't understand yet. I thought this little situation that I was in, like that was like, that was like my whole life there, right? That, was, that situation was like the whole picture of, of what I accomplished and where I was going and where I was going to go, right? This little dark situation I was in. I thought it was the period. It was just the comma, right? It was just... just one one episode on the way to who I was going to be and where I was going to go. And my mom understood that. You've not arrived until you've arrived. And so whatever you're going through this morning, whatever situation you find yourself in, that is not the end. That does not define who you are or what you're going to accomplish or, or where you're going to go. And, and that's the same if you're 23 and it's the same if you're 100. You have not arrived until you have arrived. And God always has one more thing for us. God always has one more chance for us, one more opportunity for us. And so we're pressing on. We're running this race so as to win the prize. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm not that, uh, that great at sports. But everyone that runs tells me, when you run, you know, whether you're sprinting or, or you're running a marathon, when you, when you get to that finish line, you want to aim past the finish line, right? Or else you slow down, right? Or, or, or else you... Uh, 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 lose it in the last couple of seconds and someone else pulls ahead of you. You want to aim past the finish line. 
And that's what Paul's saying. He says, listen, I understand. I'm an old man. I'm in prison. I'm planning all of these churches. Um, people are, are meeting right now some, in a palace somewhere trying to decide whether they're going to let me out of this prison or chop my head off. Right? I get that. It's near. But I've not arrived until I've arrived. I've not obtained this. I'm still pressing on, still trying to reach that goal. And that's for all of us. We have not arrived until we have arrived. We're called always to be pressing on, always to be going forward, always to be serving God one more day, one more way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.